This is The Athletic Baseball Show on The Athletic Podcast Network. And welcome to the 3-0 show on the Athletic Baseball Podcast. And with us today, we've got the lovely Britt Giroli from a hotel room doing WBC coverage in Miami? Correct. Correct. Yeah, I drove over uh, last night. We got Mexico-Japan tonight. By the time this goes up, we will know who's who's playing. Who's playing Team USA? So... Did you watch the game last night, Dina? Yes, of course. The the kids and I have been watching every game in the WBC, and we've been having a, a, a great time with it. I have a younger one who is a troll, I think, uh, and he has been rooting against America just to be different. And so last <laughs> night he was rooting for Cuba and running around. Ooh. Yeah, that was like, all right, that's that's a that's a stance. <laughs> he's yeah. like he's like Mike Trout ain't nothing. <laughs> I was like, yeah, maybe one of the best players of all time, but okay. <laughs> okay, <laughs> this Otani guy overrated. Yeah, exactly. Oh that's that's for tonight. I'm sure he's gonna say something like that tonight. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I've been really enjoying it, despite the the injuries. I enjoyed your column uh, on the on the fact that you know we're having these injuries come in. This injury news from the WBC is coming in right alongside injury news from from spring training games. Like we're literally getting hearing that Edwin Diaz is hurt at the same time that we're hearing Brandon Nimmo is hurt. Brandon Nimmo is hurt in a spring training game. Juan Soto got hurt in a B game. Like it's not even like if you want to talk about meaningless games, like got on a spring B game, you know. So I I think uh, there's nothing you can't bubble wrap these guys. Have you have you had any sort of reaction to your column that you thought was interesting other than uh, certain? Uh, pundits with large followings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think uh, most people have said like, thank you, like people in the game, agents, players. Um, I think what people don't realize in what I wrote is like, this is the closest thing to like a labor of love we're going to see. These guys aren't getting paid millions of dollars. If they make it all the way through, they maybe could make 50 grand, which is nothing to, I mean, for me and you, that's a lot of money. Uh, but if you're making Mike Trout money, if you're right. making a couple hundred million dollars, 50 grand, you get more than that for like hitting a game's plate initiative incentive in your contract. So um, I think it's really cool because it, as you see, watch these games, anyone who's watched these games, these guys are really, really into it. You don't see this kind of fire until you get to the postseason, and maybe not even that. This is like an elimination game type of atmosphere every night. I'm really excited um, to go to the games tonight. I've heard so much about them. It feels like, you know, seven years ago, the, the excitement level was just a, a fraction of what it is now, right? Like, I don't remember being like, oh, I wish I was at the WBC in 2017. But this year, I'm like, man, I wish I was there live to see these games. There's been such a, I think, positive, um, huge energy rush. Certainly the participation from some of the top players in MLB has helped. Uh, but I think they're really building something special here. And yeah. I think, you know... Some stuff like the Diaz got like the Diaz situation. As I read in the column, it's unfortunate. But like you said, you wrap them in bubble wrap, and someone's still going to get hurt. They're going to get hurt taking out the taking off the bubble wrap, right? Yeah, that's right. We, we have injuries with people taking off shirts. We got people putting on shirts. Deer meat injuries. I mean, we got we got all sorts of injuries in baseball. You know, they can it can happen at any time. And as a numbers guy, like no, I hear you on the sort of subjective feeling of excitement, but the numbers back it up. They they doubled the attendance from the last WBC. 
It's up 100 percent. They in the first in the group stage, they passed a million people attending games. Uh, So they're selling out everywhere. They had 63 billion people in Japan watching uh, Japan versus Korea. So it's yes, maybe uh, some of the excitement, pure excitement levels are reaching higher heights in other countries. But that's important, too. I mean, because it is a global game. So this is a time to have a really more global feel than just to be fixated on what happens in MLB. I watch club soccer a little bit. I watch the World Cup. You know, and so I'm hoping that WBC, you know, I don't think it's there yet, but like it could get to that sort of feeling where the WBC is the really the global, uh, the global showcase for baseball. And uh, MLB does not own baseball. You know, it's all over the world. And I think when we see it in the, when you see the WBC, we kind of remember that. But today we're supposed to be talking about the NL East. So <laughs> let's let's get on track. Uh, I've got my host hat on, uh, hopefully just for one more week dbr please come back um and uh so the nle's preview today uh and we will start uh at the top we are doing these alphabetically not by quality i don't need to hear it from everybody else this early in the morning the atlanta braves are our first team up and um you know they've, they've got a lot of things interesting things going on right now that you might not expect a little bit of controversy at shortstop uh with what what they're going to do there um and um you know some 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 questions about their their fifth starter and who that's going to be um but do you have like a uh those are kind of smaller questions what's your like grand question for the braves like what is what is uh what is the make or break aspect of this team uh that i don't think it really will be decided by their fifth starter and, and and as good as Von Grissom might be able to be, I don't actually think it will be decided by the shortstop thing either, but, but I'd like to hear what you have to say on that. What, what do you think is yeah. the big question for the Braves this year? Yeah, I agree with you. I think everyone's making a big deal about them losing Dansby Swanson. And certainly it is going to be a hole and it's going to be tough to have a guy who really hasn't been hailed as like one of these great top prospects filling in there. I think that's something to watch. But to me, you know, the, the question I have for this Braves team is, is Ronald Acuna going to emerge again as one of the top players in baseball? Because, you know, we've seen injury. We've seen kind of a – is someone calling my hotel room? <laughs> <laughs> Guys, nobody has this number. I don't know who would possibly be calling my hotel room. It's a landline. My God. <laughs> I haven't heard one of those in a while. <laughs> oh, goodness. Uh, they must have the wrong number because I have no idea who would be not using yeah, right. my cell phone to get a hold of me. Um, anyway, Ronald Acuna to me yeah. is the question. Like, can he be that guy again? Like we've seen the injury and we've also seen, obviously people are going to say, well, Braves won the world series without him. I got it. However, <laughs> this is a different team. And I want to see, especially with the new rules, you know, you add four and a half inches to a base for a guy who's fast. I want to see, I want to see more dynamic athletic plays from guys like Ronald Cunha. I want to see if he can reestablish himself in that upper tier in baseball, because I think he's had a down couple of years. And to me, he's a guy who 
can carry the Braves through. Yes, they won the World Series without him. This is a team that doesn't have Freddie Freeman and a bunch of other guys who were on that World Series team. Mm -hmm. So, you know, spare me that. I think he still matters. He still is a young star in the game. And he's a guy who, when he's batting or if he's doing anything, you're stopping and you're watching, right? Similar to, we'll get to Miami later, but Jazz Chisholm, right? Can he be that guy? We've seen flashes, but he's had trouble kind of staying on the field. I want to see Ronald Acuna. I think that matters more than people realize for this Atlanta Braves team. Because honestly, you know, to me, this might be the toughest division in baseball. If you told me the Phillies, the Braves, and the Mets won the World Series, you wouldn't be all that surprised, right? How many divisions can we say three teams? Hey, they won the World Series, and you would be like, "All right, that makes sense, right?" Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. the The interesting thing for me on Acuna is that the available research about something like as big as an ACL tier is uh, slightly negative. It, it it basically says that whatever tier you were at before, you kind of go down a tier. And this came out of football, so I don't know if these are fundamentally different sports where it doesn't matter as much, and it could be, right? Because football is more of a sort of move in three direction, move, move in 3D, right? Baseball is kind of like move in 2D almost, right? Like you're running towards first base, you're running in line, you're not cutting, you know, you're not cutting left and right as often. Um, and so maybe Acuna uh, can get back to 100% of what he was before, or maybe he can't. I mean, that there are things that happen when you have devastating injuries like an ACL tier. Some, some guys don't get all the way back. I would say that the underlying stats hint at uh, his ability to get back. He hit a ball 117 miles an hour last year. He only did that once before, uh, before his injury. So he hit the ball as hard as ever last year in short bursts. He just needs to kind of get back to that doing it all the time aspect. Um, and I think he has that in him. So, you know, it's been fun to watch him at the WBC too. Like I, he's just such an engaging player uh, that I buy that he has oversized input on uh, the outcomes for a Braves team that like, you know, has lost Freddie Freeman and is maybe looking for uh, a leader in that style where is it going to be Austin Riley or Matt Olson, or is it going to be Acuna? Uh, is it a collective effort to kind of lead them there? They do have the star power. We are right now in the middle of this controversy with the Braves where uh, Von Grissom has not started five games in a row at, at shortstop. It's, it's, uh, it's the end of the world. Um, I, I kind of think that if you have a championship contender and by the projected numbers at Fangraphs, the Braves are the number one team in terms of projected wins on Fangraphs. If you have a championship contender, to a contender, do you just go with a championship defender at short? Doesn't that almost make sense to just say, let's have the best defense we can have because we have enough offense. Where do you sit on this Vaughn Grissom versus Orlando RC debate? Yeah, I agree, because you look at their WRC Plus as a team last year, and they were only seventh. However, that's because they trade strikeouts and walks for power, Mm -hmm. right? They hit a lot of home runs. So if you're going to fill that slot, do you really need another guy who's going to be an offensive first player? I agree with you. Why not just have a guy who can defensively make the plays? You look at this lineup, and it's scary. It's stacked. I think there's no, I don't think there's any debating that, right? This is a very, very good lineup. So to me, I agree with you. I think, listen, they let Dansby Swanson go. They knew that they weren't going to have a Dansby Swanson waiting in the wings. It's just not the way that they were set up. But Mm. I think that they can cover all that. And then some, as we talked about, if Acuna has a good year, if Matt Olson, you know, 
continues to you know kind of be the guy who they thought he was when they got him from Oakland. Riley, I mean, this is a team that has a very young, controllable core because that's all Alex Anthopoulos does is lock up these young stars. So this is a team set up not just for this year, but for the next couple of years. So I would personally roll the dice with him, see what he's like early on, and know that it's okay to sacrifice offense for defense, especially because we're playing in a world, you know, without shifts or range becomes important. So don't we, aren't we going to maybe see a, a little bit of a trend toward a more defensive-oriented players. I mean, remember even 10 years ago on rosters, there was that guy who was the utility guy who couldn't hit a lick, but defensively was terrific. Every team had one. That's slowly gone away in favor of just like this pinch hit guy, right? Because we, we valued offense for so long uh, because the shift was going on and you can't shift against a home run. Well, this is going to change now. So I, I would like to see, you know, maybe teams start to gravitate toward a little bit more defense at the expense of offense, especially when you have a lineup like Atlanta's. And especially when you have the new shift rules, right? Exactly. You know, there's a, just a more, more and more emphasis on that. The, the, the Astros won it all, right? The Astros won it all. They had Martin Maldonado behind the plate. They had Yuli Gurriel at first and uh, Chaz McCormick uh, in center. Like I'm, I, that's three places where you're, you don't have great offense. And they still won, right? And I would say the Braves in Sean Murphy and Travis Darno have a better offense than Martin Maldonado. I don't think that's uh, being rude to Martin Maldonado to say, no, right? No. But if you talk to Houston, Martin Maldonado is the guy. Nobody wants to throw to anybody else. So right. there, there uh, is a lot of I think, But I think the Braves great. are blessed with two catchers that people love throwing to and are good offensively. I mean, yeah. uh, I saw Sean Murphy up close in, in Oakland. He works really, really hard. And I think people like throwing to him. Well, and Matt Olson, no, no shame to say he's better than Yuli Gurriel. So, and then Michael Harris, the second, probably better than Chaz McCormick. So you've afforded yourself the ability. They did not replace Dansby Swanson with a one player. Basically, they said, if we just have really good offense from everywhere else, we can afford one place. Every championship team can still afford one place where you don't get offense. And so I think that's the, I think that's what's happening with Vaughn Grissom. I don't know what it means for Von Grissom long-term, that's uh, something that uh, we'll, he'll have to figure out. It may have to do with uh, going back to the minors and just showing them that he can be a good uh, defensive shortstop, um, or maybe it'll end up in the in the outfield. Um, you know, what is nice about this team is uh, they've got great pitching at the top, and they seem to be breaking out uh, some more great pitching with Jared Schuster and Dylan Dodd uh, really shoving this spring. Uh, I, I personally would make Mike Soroka my, my fifth starting pitcher, but there are definite health, health issues there. And then they even have Ian Anderson, who they sent down. So in terms of, of depth there, I think they're going to be good. I mean, this is why projections like them. They're just really good offensively everywhere. Eddie Rosario was hitting the, the crap out of the ball in the WBC after getting, uh, after getting eye surgery in the offseason. He's likely to be uh, one of their two worst offensive players. So... Uh, I don't really see what what's the, the flip side of it. What's the you know what's the what's the story that it goes bad for them? Where do where do you see a, a slight uh, weakness in in the projections or a slight weakness in where this team could where could this team go south? So if I had to poke holes, I think maybe the second half of the starting rotation, right? You got Spencer Strider, you got Max Freed, but then you start to get a little like eh, right? You got Charlie Morton, you've got is it 
Kyle Wright that they have. Yeah, Kyle Wright. Right. Yeah, Kyle, Kyle Wright, Wright has an yeah. inconsistent command. Charlie Morton's getting older. Right. So then you right. So then you kind of wonder, like, okay, maybe that back half, Ian Anderson, you know, maybe those guys start to underperform a little bit. I think you know you're gonna you haven't seen the best yet of Spencer Strider. Uh, Max Free continues to kind of be the ace of that staff, but maybe right. when we talk about depth of the starting rotation. Um, again, we're nitpicky. I think the bullpen's going to be good again. I think mm-hmm. if it's going to go wrong, you're going to maybe see that starting pitching depth tested, and they don't necessarily go seven, eight deep where you feel okay if some of these guys kind of falter. Um, you could say that about a lot of teams, though, really. I feel like I'm, yeah. I'm very much nitpicking to figure out a scenario That's where the really other teams aren't very good, right? Uh, yeah. Maybe Acuna gets hurt again, and, you know, Nobody hits. They go through these spells where this lineup all of a sudden, you know, the strikeouts are up. The power's not there. Uh, a lot of things kind of have to go wrong for Atlanta to not be in it. And keep in mind, even last year when the Mets looked like they buried them, they didn't. Atlanta went on a historic run to end up overtaking them in the division. So even if they have a bad month, I don't think you can write off Atlanta. I don't think you can write off Atlanta really ever. You know, I mean, there's just a really good, well-run organization with that keeps churning out really oh good prospects. I mean, they're triple A. They're not going to go away anytime soon. I think that's important to remember. I remember when I covered um, DC for those two years in 19 and 20, and I was like, God, Atlanta's good now. But then also look at their triple A team. And this was a couple of years ago. And I was like, that team was stacked. It's like, this team is just, this organization is just not going away. They lock up their young talent. They have a great core, as I mentioned. Even if they stumble here and there, I just, I just don't see them not in it, especially with the expanded playoffs. Yeah, the I, I do think that uh, the cupboard is getting a little bit more bare as these guys are graduating, uh, but they signed them all to like 10 year deals. So, like you know, they're still going to be around and that gives them that gives them four or five years to uh, uh, to, to to replenish their minor leagues as these players uh, play through their peaks in the major leagues. The only the only weakness I see offensively is that strikeout rate. You've mentioned it a, a couple of times and. Um, it is it is fairly high for uh, you know teams last year uh, that struck out the most. It was the Angels, the Pirates, the Braves, the Tigers, and the Marlins. That's an interesting group to be in. I mean, you're the best team in that five, right? <laughs> like if you look at the teams that struck out the least, you get mostly playoff teams: the Guardians, the Astros, the Mets, the uh, the Cardinals, and the Blue Jays. They're all playoff teams, you know. So it's not the best facet of their offense is their their strikeouts so um and that's something that von grissom could uh help them with you know he is a guy who makes contact and maybe maybe that's uh why that's how he plays his way onto this team um but you you kind of want to see some growth in terms of strikeout rate uh maybe some better seasons from some of their guys um and and, uh maybe maybe it'll be a priority priority for them for example uh it was a priority for the marlins uh, to to improve to improve that strikeout rate in the off season, um, and that's that was a stated goal of theirs. So is that our is that our next team? Did you segue? In? That was our segue. Yeah. So I like it. So did the did the Marlins <laughs> did the Marlins go overboard in that? You know they yes they obviously improved their uh, their strikeout rate. They went and got. You know, one of the hardest, I think the hardest guy to strike out last year among qualified hitters in Luis Arise. They signed uh, Zonza Gura, who can make uh, uh, can make contact with any breaking ball that he wants to. 
Um, and uh, they, they now boast a lineup that has a mix, I think, of making contact and, and making uh, contact for power. Did they do enough? Do you, do you see a, a lineup here that can produce even an above average season, a, a, an above 500 team? Yeah, I think, like you said, they made a lot of improvements because last year the lineup wasn't good. And now they have a lot of guys who are much better in contact to, you know, bat to ball ratio. They're going to hope to kind of lower those strikeouts. My issue with the Marlins is they seem to be in the wrong division, right? If they were in another division and even in the NL East, you know, they feel to me like potentially a pesky team that kind of hangs around and gives these teams, the Mets, the Braves, the Phillies, a little more trouble than you know you would otherwise think i think kim ing did a great job of kind of retooling this roster the biggest question for me for this team outside of what i said earlier jazz chisholm because i think he is the ronald acuna right he is the guy who is capable of taking this team to another level star that 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 uh, what is it the straw that stirs the drink (laughs) correct right he's stirring and stirring and he he's you know he can do it all. So I think he's really important. I'm curious what Skip Schumacher brings there. We've got a first-time manager, a guy who, you know, I think a lot of people were wondering down in Miami if they were going to hire, you know, a Latin guy or, you know, somebody who at least had a little bit more presence in an area where Spanish is pretty much the predominant language down there. I'm in, down there. I'm in Miami currently, so right, here. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I'm really curious, though, because Schumacher obviously comes um, – from the Cardinals and also was with St. Louis and was with San Diego coaching. So he's got a pedigree as a player. He's got some coaching background and apparently, you know, he just knocked everyone's socks off in the interview. He's a terrific interview. I've met him a little bit. I can see why people like him. He's very likable. Um, But what kind of tone is he going to set, right? What is he going to be able to do? And we know that managers have less power than they used to, but they're still, especially with a team like the Marlins that has been down and out for quite some time, there's still an important facet there. What is he going to be able to, to bring to this team, right? Like what is he going to be able to do as a manager for them? Because this is a team still searching for their identity. I mean, they are just his home team when he's on the field, he's really had trouble staying healthy. So I would like to know, or I'm curious to see how this goes with Skip Schumacher, what, what he can do, for this team because they're on the up and up. I think the Marlins are kind of trending upward. You know, they're not at the peak yet, but they're kind of headed in the right direction. But with that being said, this could all unravel very quickly in a division where, as we mentioned, three teams could legitimately win the world series coming out of this division. So I think they've improved. I think they still though are probably etched into fourth place, barring some kind of collapse from one of those other three teams. Yeah. I think you're right to, to point out uh, Skip Schumacher here, because I think, uh, as as much as as Kim Ang has improved this roster, I, I find it uh, it fits together strangely. And so Skip Schumacher is going to have a lot of decisions to make. You know, I think this is a, a sort of a high decision rate roster, if that makes any sense. Because I like that. you know he's got Garrett Cooper and Yuli Gurriel, who both bat from the same side and play first base. Yeah. Right. So right there, you have a that's a big roster decision. Do you go with the veteran? You know, uh, they're both kind of veterans, but do you go with the veteran coming off a bad year that maybe have one foot out of baseball? Or do you go with the guy who's been, you know, playing first base in, in Miami for, for so far? You know, you have like maybe four or five second basemen on this roster. It's really bizarre kind of. 
Segura's played second base for a long time. Wendell's best position, Joey Wendell's best position is second base. Luis Arias was actually kind of being moved off of second base in Minnesota, but he's probably a second baseman. John Birdie is probably the backup, uh, the backup to the backup shortstop, but he's a second baseman. Jazz Chisholm Jr., second baseman in center field. So, you know, teams don't normally stock up on second baseman, and that's going to put a lot of uh, pressure on Skip to kind of put together the best defensive lineup he can put together with so many second basemen. Uh, Jose Iglesias is in town now, and I think that's going to give him a lot of flexibility to maybe do some late game replacement, you know, where yeah. you start, you get a lead. Uh, you've got a great starting staff. You've got a great uh, or an, a, an okay bullpen that added AJ puck. It's gotten better. Um, and so if you get a lead, maybe you, you put Iglesias in and you can move Wendell all over. You can move Arias to some different places. And so maybe you can have a, an all defensive lineup in late in games where, uh, where you kind of, uh, you figure it out defensively, but at the beginning of games, Skip's got to put that lineup together and he's going to have choices where he goes, do I go with a power with Jesus Sanchez? Uh, or do I go with a little bit more, uh, you know, uh, but bat to ball with somebody else, uh, you know, uh, does Brian De La Cruz break camp with the team or just because he has an option, he goes back down. When do you pull the plug on Avisail Garcia and Jorge Soler? If they, if they don't really kind of rebound to where they've been in the past, those are a lot of decisions to make. It's nice for him to basically pencil in a good starter, a good to great starting pitcher every night. Uh, and that's going to be, that's going to be a thing that, We'll keep the, if the Marlins do well, it's because the, those starting pitchers are great and some of the hitters step forward. Jesus Sanchez, Brian De La Cruz, Jazz Chisholm has that MVP type year that he can have, and 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 Skip makes that defense work. Is there? Um, and then what's what's the bad story? Well, the bad story seems pretty obvious. We've kind of been playing that one out, haven't we? What's the well, bad yeah, story for the Marlins? I mean, it's the young pitching not being able to take that step forward, right? Um, it's kind of them becoming – the Detroit Tigers are a great example. I talked about this last week. They had all this young pitching. The problem with young pitching is it's really tough to predict, and you, know, you have to be able to tape your lumps and get better. You have to make these adjustments. And as you mentioned, the rotation is really good. Um, honestly, like I can't believe Trevor Rogers is only 25. I feel like we've been talking about that guy but for a while. You're talking about the up and down nature of, of, of young pitching. Trevor Rogers had like a five ERA last year. Exactly. You know? But then two years ago was terrific. So you're like, kind of just like wondering what's going on with a lot of mm-hmm. these guys they have, I think it's a 19 year old. I think it's Yuri, is it Yuri Perez. They have like some other 19 year old. Oh yeah. He's like up six foot eight or something. Six foot yeah. nine. Just like they keep fireballing. Out. Yeah. yeah. They keep turning out this ridiculous stuff. And maybe Johnny Cueto, maybe having that veteran there will help some of these younger guys, right? Like that's a signing that you're like, okay, maybe he does more in the clubhouse than he actually does on the field. I kind of like the idea of having that veteran, um, you know, to kind of help like these him. guys along. Young pitchers yeah, do so, like him, yeah. Right. So maybe that really helps kind of keep them in line. But to me, the Marlins are going to live and die by their rotation because if those guys don't get it done, they're very quickly going to be buried five, six, nothing. And their lineup is good, but good luck coming back against the Braves lineup and the Mets and the Philly, right? Like when you're already in that kind of a hole, I think the only way they're going to be able to win these games and kind of overperform is if their rotation keeps them in it and gives the lineup a chance to get that big hit at the end, right? Their bullpen is fine. It's nothing to write home about. But as you said, it's that rotation that every night they should be able, theoretically on paper, to compete because of that pitching. 
Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's tough. I I saw it slightly differently, where I was like, "Well, the starting pitching is what's going to keep them in it." When it, if there's a bad story for this Marlins team is that they don't score runs, but yeah. um, if there's a really bad story for the Marlins, the starting pitching is not there, also, right? So yeah. I, yeah, I can see what you're saying. Um, yeah, I think it's it's pretty much uh, you know, it's Jazz that has to step forward, but I think also uh, Jesus Sanchez and Brian De La Cruz, there's outside pressure on them to step forward because they really they traded away JJ Bleday. They haven't really developed someone in-house uh, other than Jazz that uh, that has this offensive ability. Um, and so this lineup just needs to get better where, you know, Brian De La Cruz or Jesus Sanchez are, are heads all in. Obviously, Ali Garcia has to get back to where he was. Soler, when he was, when he was healthy last year, still hit bombs. Um, he's not the greatest hitter in the world, but he just hits bombs. It's an interesting way that, that uh, this team was fashioned, though, because – I thought this that park was really pitcher friendly and it is when it comes to home runs, but it is not overall. It is, in fact, a sort of middle of the pack uh, park when it comes to runs. And so maybe Kim Ang saw that and said, hey, we've been striking out and trying to hit homers in a park that doesn't doesn't like that. We need to fit our offense better to our park. And that's going to be more singles and doubles. So yeah. um, I, I love Segura as a player. So I, it could really work out. It's just weird to not have a shortstop uh, that, you know, I think every team that doesn't have a young shortstop other than the Braves is uh, freaking out about it. <laughs> but uh, we get to our next team uh, in the NL East. It's a beast of a division and it's a beast of a team with the New York Mets uh, third uh, alphabetically and uh, uh, first in some projections, second in other projections in the division. Who would you have between the Mets and the Braves? Let's just start there. Like who are you going to pick between the Mets and the Braves? Well, is it a week ago? Because Edwin Diaz really hurts, <laughs> right? Losing their closer hurts. Uh, Brandon Nimmo, though, apparently that's less of an issue. I think I saw a tweet that said, you know, he could be ready by opening day, if not shortly thereafter. Uh, so that's important. But then look at the injury to Quintana. So I think when you look at it right now, to me, the Braves kind of have an edge. Now, the caveat with the Mets, and what I think is probably the big, like, 500-pound gorilla in the room, especially with Edwin Diaz out for the season, is going to be the performance of Justin Verlander and Max Scherzer, who are 38, 40 years old. So, But they're also two future Hall of Famers, and I don't think anybody has any doubt about that. So are they going to go out, you know, and pitch like Hall of Famers? Or are these the guys that are kind of just, you know, they lost it, and they're kind of now on the decline, right? I think that's the big thing here. And people were kind of ripping all these pitchers for not being in the WBC. But to me, if you're the Mets, you don't want Justin Verler and Max Scherzer worth anywhere near big games right now. They need to save their bullets. Now, Justin Verlander does essentially have a new arm, you know, Dusty Baker. Uh, I was talking to him at the winter meetings this year and, and, you know, he basically said he wasn't surprised at all that, you know, Verlander got the money that he did and wasn't worried about him living up to that contract because he's coming off a of Tommy John. This is the first time that guy's blown out though, which is crazy. You know, did you know that there's a direct correlation between a performance of a pitcher and how early their first Tommy John surgery is. Now, Tommy John usually buys you three and a half to five seasons after the first Tommy John. So now for Verlander, you're still looking at a couple really good years. So I feel like Verlander and Scherzer, if they go out and perform, they could put the Mets on their backs, literally. Um, and if they win, don't win those games 2 zero, <laughs> right? If they don't, this team's going to be in a ton of trouble. 
it's just a ton of trouble, especially because they don't really have a solution now with FDS. Does David Robertson close more games? Do they go out and roll the dice and sign a free agent like Zach Britton, who worked out for about 10 teams, I was told, uh, last week. Did you hear so, any velo readings? No, I didn't get any velo readings. I was told yeah. that, you know, he, he looked okay. If he looked great, somebody would have already signed him. I think, yeah. right? Ten teams watched him. I think there's still a little hesitation. Yeah, there was a guy in the WBC who struck out three Dominicans and got a contract after the game. Yeah. If you yeah. look good, sometimes the teams someone's will work gonna, fast. Yeah, someone's <laughs> going to roll the dice. Um, yeah. Especially because, you know, there are a lot of teams that could use a closer. The Cubs are a team that could certainly use him as well. Uh, you know, I think any team could use a lefty sinker baller when he's in his prime. Keep in right. mind, Zach Britton had American League record at one point in time. Uh, just hasn't pitched, has been injured for quite a it's while. It's just so. unlikely that they're going to find a closer that way. And then, you know, with everybody team, every team has like optimism going into the season and wants to be like, yeah, we put our best team together. Like the Reds don't want to trade their closer, Alexis Diaz, the brother of Edwin Diaz. They don't want to trade him before opening day. Do they? <laughs> like, that's yeah, like, I don't that's know, a- though. The Reds have done some really unfan friendly moves. So that's maybe. True. <laughs> Maybe they they said apparently they haven't heard from the Mets. And uh, I think one of the things with the Mets system is that they have uh, in Francisco Alvarez and Brett Beatty, uh, two players that teams really want and yeah. uh, and that the Mets really want to keep. I would personally trade Mark Vientos, who is leading the team in plate appearances, uh, but has uh, an outside strikeout rate in the minors. I would, I, if I was running the team, I would trade Mark Vientos for a closer, given that this is a team that is projected to be in one of the top five. Uh, they're right now uh, the fifth best team by projections at Fangraphs. And just get, adding a win or two there would make them third best or fourth you know what i mean like yeah. that the, it, you really move a lot when you're you, you know you're talking about relievers don't have that outsize of a, a impact on on a, on a full team is 26 players blah 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 yes but when you're this good a good a great reliever like edwin diaz is the difference between you know winning the division or going in as a wild card yes those things do get determined by one game at the end of the season right and uh and so I could see them trading Mark Vientos uh, for somebody uh, if if uh, if the Reds come to the table. I I actually would think it was a, a good idea because this is obviously a team set to win now, and I don't know that Mark Vientos is a starting first baseman for a team this good. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I, that's bird in the hand. You know that whole deal. So uh, I would do that trade if I were if I was them. I think that uh, I like Tyler McGill and da- and David yeah. Peterson some. So they. They have some, in some ways, I like uh, those guys better uh, than some of the Braves' depth. However, uh, they're already in the rotation, whereas the Braves, you know, have depth beyond their rotation. So that's that's a bit of a difference where McGill is already the sixth starter and Peterson's probably the fifth. So there's that depth is getting tested already. Also, in center field, Brandon Nimmo is the center fielder. I don't think I really want Starling Marte or Mark Canha to be uh, playing center field for me. So if that Nimmo injury uh, lasts a little bit, uh, you're going to see a, a suboptimal defensive alignment in center field, I think. Yeah, uh, Tyler McGill to me is the underrated guy a little yes. bit, right? Now, if yeah. he can stay healthy, you know, he could help cover for the Quintana injury, right? He could help that so. rotation kind of stay afloat, but you know that's a big if. But to me, you look at his numbers, uh, you look at FIP, you look at some of the things that he's been able to do, and yeah, I think he's, he could he's really got help good stuff. Yeah, he's yeah. got good stuff. I, and this is a this is a really good team. Uh, you know, I think that hopefully they got their bad luck out of the way, 
And so, you know, there is an element of luck. And I'm not saying that the Mets are going to depend on luck. But every championship team depends a little bit on luck. And I think that the, the luck that the Mets would be looking for here is health luck from that rotation that's, that's still in there. You know, yeah. Carlos Carrasco's had his issues. Scherzer's had some back issues. There, there are some health stuff there that could go the right way. Um, but in terms of a, a lineup, I think they've got everything they need. I think they've, they've added some good depth with Tommy Pham. Um, and with Brett Beatty coming up, uh, they have even a, a kind of a star young guy that could impact this team this year. Um, and, and I don't know well, that Francisco he's going to Alvarez, break too. They, yeah. they've, got, they've got some really, really good prospects that people are wondering, are they going to contribute to this team? They could. Yeah. There could be a shakeup at the trade deadline. They've also got unlimited resources. So they could add a legitimate major league player at the deadline already, right? Like, uh, to me, this Mets team, like you're right, depends on a lot of luck. Their lineup's really good. It's hard to nitpick the lineup when they're all healthy. Um, but, and also, the schedule's different this year. They lost 9 of 10 to the Braves last year. Like, there's you play your people in your division less often. And right. I think so, I think that's nine, actually a plus for all of the NLE teams. <laughs> yes, nine to ten down the stretch because they played them more than ten times. But still, right, yeah. I think you're you're basically really going from like nineteen times to like uh sixteen or thirteen times. So you're you're definitely seeing guys your division paints less, and that's that's a positive for all of them. Just a you're right. You're right. Nine of you know, ten is nineteen. So that was their whole year stat. I'm yeah. crushing the math today <laughs> but uh but uh the uh an interesting side note um and we're supposed to be previewing the on-field stuff but i did see uh some numbers uh, from the uh, stadium uh, in terms of revenue and uh they cleared 130 million dollars uh in from the from the stadium so in terms of uh, wow. attend people in attendance, but minus the cost of running a stadium, they cleared $130 million from attendance. Um, that's before uh, basically another sort of hundred plus million uh, from TV deals, uh, national TV and licensing deals. Uh, so now you're at, uh, you know, 230 or so. And then you've got your local advertising and, uh, uh, and local TV deal to add to, to, to the top of that. So with people really, you know, sort of worried or wringing their hands uh, around baseball about how much uh, the owner is spending on this team, uh, it's, it's not a lock that he's uh, spending into losses. You know what I mean? Like, uh, in fact, just knowing how businesses work, I would doubt he's spending his way into losses. I think he's just showing you what, you know, a fully operational Death Star can look like. You know what I mean? Like, he's just like, this is how much money the Mets make. This is, I'm going to spend it. And and this is what it's going to look like. And sorry, sorry to other teams that don't necessarily have the same resources, but I don't think that it's um, evidence that baseball is broken. And just look at it. He has spent that much money. And we've just talked about a team that still needs a little bit of luck and still, you know, isn't necessarily locked to win their division. And so, uh, it's an interesting thing. I don't think that any one team spending is uh, tells you that baseball is broken. But that was, that yeah. was uh, I just had to. I got my soapbox there. <laughs> but speaking of spending, we've got the Philadelphia Phillies next. Don't That's we? right. Our next yeah. team up. Uh, actually, no. We have to. We have to go to the Nationals first. We do. Yes, because we're doing things alphabetically here. But by the city. 
yeah by by the by the, by the, by the, team. By the team name i think oh by the team name oh yeah all right well, we, well the nationals yeah this will be quick because be guys <laughs> if you're a nationals fan take a long nap wake up in 2025 Oh my goodness. Uh, okay, so how about this? Let's 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 dispense with the, you know, will they contend or will they not contend or the storylines. Who are the players on this team that will make the most of their chances this year? Who who are you watching? Like if you're going to put a Nationals game on, who are you watching? Well, it was going to be Kate Cavalli, but now he's going to get Tommy John surgery, which, you know, is really unfortunate. I think you're yeah. watching Kiebert Ruiz and you're watching Josiah yeah. Gray, both guys that they got from the Dodgers the year that they traded away Max Scherzer. See if they can Turner. take another step forward, yeah. Yeah, so you're, you're watching those guys. This was going to be a big year for Cavalli, who was their top pick a couple of years ago. He was throwing uh, hard in spring. Yeah, and like the Nationals are a team that last year they had a bunch of players with negative war, and I don't see that trend ending. So, you know, they're going to kind of continue to have some filler on the roster while they wait for these guys to kind of come up and – hopefully take over. But to me, the big question for them, you know, not just this year, but like the bird's eye five years. And we've talked about this before. Can the organization develop these young guys? Their development has been a big question. And that's what's going to determine whether this rebuild works or not. Is going to be, can they develop these young guys? That's for me when I'm watching. Yeah. And it's really interesting that, you know, when we talk about a team having trouble developing uh, players, I think, we're also talking about like development and acquisition go hand in hand, right? Like you need to know what you can develop. You need to know, you need to have organizational values, right? In order to acquire and to develop, to develop, you have to say, this is what we want your fastball shape to look like. This is a good fastball shape. And you do that in acquisition too. And so I think we can see the flaws in how the nationals are run in both ways. So you can understand why they're having trouble developing because you can look at their acquisitions. Now look at Josiah Gray. He has great breaking balls. I love those breaking balls. It's a breaking ball league. You can talk yourself into that. His fastball shape is not great. And it's led to his fastball being hit really hard. So if you don't value the right shapes in fastballs, you can get into trouble developing, right? And so that there's a, like, why, even in their acquisition of Josiah Gray, you can see why they might be having trouble developing. Now look on the offensive side. Uh, you know, most teams right now are valuing either a vertical bat angle, uh, sort of the, the kind of the shape of your swing or, um, you know, how uh, how hard you hit the ball. That's a real simple one. How hard do you hit the ball in their acquisitions of Kyber Rees and CJ Abrams? You can say that m- maybe they don't value hitting the ball hard that much. Abrams doesn't hit the ball hard. Kyber Rees doesn't hit the ball hard. Now, Abrams is 22, and maybe he'll hit more barrels in the future. He was a bottom shelf, sort of bottom 10th percentile in barrel rates last year. Maybe he'll grow into his power. Maybe that's what their bet is there. But around the rest of baseball, people are trying to acquire people to hit the ball hard. So I think if there's anybody I'm watching, it's Ruiz and Abrams because they don't hit the ball hard. And traditionally, the rest of baseball has said, if you don't hit the ball hard, I know you don't hit the ball hard really quickly and you're not necessarily going to hit the ball hard in the future and that's going to limit your upside. And if Abrams can't hit the ball hard, then he can just be a defense guy uh, that'll be you know good when he can while he can play defense at short and he won't necessarily be a star. If Ruiz can't hit the ball hard, he'll be a good catcher for a while and he'll be useful to the Nationals, but he won't necessarily be a star. And this team is looking for their next 
stars. That's what they're looking to develop in this fallow time. So, yeah, I'm really looking at Abrams and Ruiz to see if they develop more, uh, more oomph in their batted balls. And, uh, and then, of course, uh, story-wise, though, Joey Manessis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So now we go to the Phillies. <laughs> now we go to the Phillies. Now we go to the Phillies. But I am just a little note that I'm rooting for Joey Manessis because I love the 30-year breakouts. I love, I love his yeah. whole story, and he's and he's playing in tonight's game for Mexico. Uh, so Joey Manessis, uh, you know, here's a little bit of love your way, and uh, and let's see you like you know redo that year. That was awesome. But yep. Yeah. It's time for the Phillies, and uh, we have to uh, give them their due, their propers, getting almost all the way last year. It is funny, though, uh, by projections, this is an 86 and 76 win team. So tell me, tell me, Britt, why are the projections wrong? What are they missing about this Phillies team? Is it their grit? Yeah, right. Can't mention that. Uh, well, I think anyone who's watched the WBC knows, and I covered Trey Turner when he was in DC. The guy is better than people realize. I feel like you don't appreciate him until you watch him consistently, and you're like, "God, this guy's really good." Right? So he obviously one of their big acquisitions this winter. That little guy hit those huge homers last night. Yeah, he's just a very, very good player. Uh, he's a guy who's going to play hurt. He did play hurt. He had broke multiple fingers and was still able to compete for the 19 team that won the World Series in D.C. So I think he's underrated. I think the projections are you know, based off of what happens with Bryce Harper. So does he beat his timeline a little bit? That mm-hmm. could have a huge effect on this team and you know their wins. And then also I think it's just tough to say all these guys who really turned it on at the exact right moment are going to do it again, as you mentioned, with the Mets. Um, and just in general, there's a lot of luck involved. The Phillies were a team that were not very good during the regular season. At times they were got awful to watch, but they got hot at the right time. And there's just no real way to quantify that. You know, uh, I think they're going to be a good team again. Uh, their owner goes out and spends money. They're going to be a team uh, that hits the ball. Uh, they're, they're still a formidable lineup. Uh, the big question is going to be Bryce Harper and how much can he contribute to this team? And like, what is going to be, Kind of his limitations, um, you know. He, how and he if has, he's a DH all year, you know that right. that's meaningful for a team that's not amazing defensively. You know, that's a nice way to say that they're <laughs> really. <efficient. laughs> uh, I kept waiting last year in Philly for their defense to like show up and have them lose a game, and they did bobble some. No, they did bobble some stuff, did, but it, it never mattered. Everything, no, it yeah. never mattered. They just outslug teams, and this is how the Padres ended up losing to them. Is very few teams are going to win a slugging match against the Phillies. They're just, yeah. they're just not. So that's how this team is built. But this is what Dave Dombrowski does. This is a win-now team again, and they're looking to capitalize off of all that momentum from last year. So they're a flawed team, but they're a team who, again, if you told me that they were they won the World Series, I would say, all right, that checks out. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think they're going to have to do some of the similar things this year in terms of being right, uh, being right at the right time because – I see way even more problems in sort of starting pitcher depth than some of the other teams. I mean, they had really yeah. poor luck with Andrew Painter. I think Painter would have changed things because you would have had a real stud in the fifth spot and then all of your depth would have come behind him. But Painter is not the only injury. They have they've had a couple injuries in that back end among their, their fifth, sixth, and seventh starting pitchers. So right now, I think it's Bailey Falter and maybe Michael Plassmeyer, uh, who are the fifth and sixth starting pitchers. And uh, Michael Plasmar was left off the, the wildcard series roster. So he's not, uh, wasn't necessarily headed towards stardom, but uh, 
maybe he can be credible and maybe uh, Falter can be credible. But if they have a long-term injury to Nola or Wheeler, this team looks very different, I think. And then you start saying, whoa, wait, wait a second. Who's their starting pitcher tonight, you know? Um, and as much as their bullpen is now full of stuff, my goodness, there's so much stuff in that bullpen. It's just all like 100 miles an hour with great breaking balls. There's no command in that bullpen at all. And so, you know, you've got this team that's like all like think about what I just said about the Nationals in terms of like, you know, stuff and in terms of hitting the ball hard. The Phillies are like, no, we're going to bet real hardcore and hitting the ball hard and throwing the ball hard and all that soft stuff like command and defense eh, whatever. (laughs) So uh, I, I, you know, I think someone needs to step forward like Plasmeyer or or, uh, Sanchez. They've got. Um, I think it's, uh, is it Christopher? Yeah. Christopher Sanchez or Mick Abel. Some, one of those back end pitchers, Bailey Falter, they have to step up because this team is going to need them. And then the other thing I think that could be a big deal is Alec Baum and Bryson Stott are two young players on that infield that could go either way. They could, uh, I, I don't, I don't think they'll necessarily regress, but like they could either just kind of do what they did or they could, there is another level in, in both of those guys. Baum could hit the ball harder. Um, he could make the more out of his raw power, more, make more out of his raw power. Uh, Bryson Stott is, is, is sort of learning the game, and we've seen him chase fewer pitches as the season goes on, and he gets more regular playing time. So I think both of those are young players that could uh, help this lineup be even better, you know? Yeah. And they're going to have to slug their way to some victories, especially with their fifth and sixth starters on the mound. Um, do you think they can do it again? I said, I think three teams out of this division can do it. Yeah. And it wouldn't surprise me. That's what makes this, this division so tough. All right. All right. But I am now forcing you in the corner. Give me a one, two, three. Oh, geez. Oh, yeah. got to do it. <sighs> Braves, Mets, Phillies. Braves, Mets, Phillies. Go ahead. I'm going to go Mets, Braves, Phillies. So we both picked them third anyway. Yeah, we did. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they, you know, hey, Michael Plasmar, Bailey Falter, prove us wrong. You're gonna yeah. the the Phillies need you this year, and that that might change the story there. That's us. That's it for us at the Three O Show. Uh, thanks so much, Britt, and uh, thank you uh, for listening. And uh, you can subscribe at any time at uh, the Athletic Baseball Show uh, at uh, at theathletic.com. And I think there's a two dollar a month deal right now, and you can get. Uh, Britt's fabulous column on the on the uh, 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 on the WBC and the injuries. Um, I've got rankings up uh, for you, fantasy players. Uh, all sorts of good stuff on there right now, and uh, more coming as we uh, start working on our player tiers. You got to watch out for that before opening yeah. day. Uh, and uh, so, thanks for listening. And remember, at the Three O Show, you've always got the green light. <laughs>